0: All right, well good morning everybody, welcome to our Sunday service, glad that you could join us today. Uh, definitely looking forward to after service where we have our park day. And um, yeah, it's a great time for us, if we've been uh, visiting this church, to kind of feel the life of the church a bit better, uh, especially outdoors and uh, this sunny California weather. And if you're a member, uh, it's a great way as well to connect with one another and also to connect with those that are familiar faces on Sundays, but maybe we, it's a limited time that we could see each other on the Sunday. So we look forward to that and we hope that you could join us. And again, we hope you bring all your kids. For those of you who are parents, it's usually a great time for the children to run around and to release all that pent-up energy that's there. Uh, this is your first time with us. We want to welcome you, and we're glad that you could join us for our Sunday service. And we actually just finished a four-part sermon series last week entitled All Things New, and we talked pretty much about the new year and the fact that there's going to be a lot of changes that happen with our church. Um, and it was a great uh, series that helped, me help I think, lay down a foundation of what our church is about and what we plan to do and the, the future ahead of us. Um, today, we're actually starting a new sermon series, uh, a six-part sermon series that we're calling Formed, uh, the reshaping of life. And uh, today is going to be a, a kind of a, the, the kick kickoff to that. If you guys aren't familiar with this type of language or what do we mean by this. You'll find out in a little bit. And so a lot of the content actually from today, uh, it comes from, uh, and even the whole sermon series actually, uh, it was inspired by a book called Live No Lies by author John Mark Comer. And there's a lot of things about formation that I thought was in that book. And even from the church series that I've heard that I thought was just really helpful. And so a lot of that material will be uh, here as well. So if you're familiar with that book, it'll be helpful for you or you'll see a lot of familiarity. But for the rest of us, hopefully this would be a blessing to us. And so if you guys have your Bibles or your programs, we're going to be looking just at one short verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's not on the screen, so if you have a program, it'd be great to have your program. Or if you have an app, you open the app there. We'll be looking at a few other passages, but the main verse we'll be landing on will be Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So the Apostle Paul, after writing uh, 11 chapters in the book of Romans. He starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the reading of God's word. So like many of you, one activity my wife and I enjoy doing in the evening times after a long day is we enjoy binging through Netflix and finding different television shows to watch together. Uh, So if you have any recommendations, we are always open to recommendations for a new show. Uh, There was one new show that somebody recommended for us to watch. I believe the title of the show was called uh, Singles Inferno. Uh, If you guys don't know what that show is, it's no problem. Don't have to worry about that show because it is a show that my wife was thrilled to start watching, but for me, I was like, no, thank you. And the reason why I did not want to watch that show wasn't to judge or to think there's anything, quote, sinful about it per se. It's literally because it's a genre of a show that I just despise. I cannot handle reality shows. That's just not my thing. I've never seen The Bachelor. I've never seen, uh, what's it called, Big Brother or whatever their shows are. I've never seen Survivor. Like, reality shows... Just not my thing, I just I like scripts, I like narratives, I like to have a story that's there. But there is one reality show that I do like, or one genre of reality shows that if it's there, I'll watch it, and it's any type of reality show that has to do with food. I love Chopped, Chopped is amazing. I'll watch Chopped all the time. I like Master Chef, I like Iron Chef. When it's like food stuff, ooh, I'm down for that. That's the one type of reality show that I am down for. To watch One food show that I was into for a little bit is uh, Kitchen Nightmare. You guys ever heard that show Kitchen Nightmare before? Uh, if you don't know, the, the premise of that show is pretty much there are these struggling restaurants that are about to go under, they're about to go bankrupt. And what, what happened is they'd reach out to Chef Gordon Ramsay to be like, come fix our restaurant come help us. And so what happened is you see the show and Chef Ramsay would come to the restaurant and obviously they'll talk about the aesthetics of the restaurant, uh, the service of the the waiters, the the, the menu and how it looks like and there's a lot of correction that's needed for those restaurants in those areas. But if you're familiar with the show, you'll know most of the time is spent in the kitchen. Most of the time is spent Gordon Ramsay looking at the kitchen because the most important part of a restaurant is the food. If the food's no good, nothing's good. Doesn't matter how nice everything is, it's all about the quality of the food. So, Ramsey, his whole goal, first and foremost, is to change and enhance the food to make the restaurant better. These past few months, if you've been with our church, you know there's been a lot of external changes. We have a new name, we have new signs, we have a new social media. And we're even making a lot of declarations at our church. The past few weeks, we've said some bold stuff about the type of church we want to be. We want to be a church that's passionate for Christ in all of life. We talked about how we want to be a church that's a city on a hill, that's known for its grace and being gracious to one another. We want to be a church that doesn't just experience blessing, but could be a blessing to one another. But here's the interesting thing. While we can preach about this all we want, we could put it on our sign saying, This is who we are. We could post it on our website. This is what we care about. This is our mission. Right now, it's just declarations. Right now, it's just statements. You ever watch The Office and that one episode where Michael Scott learns about bankruptcy? And he goes, I declare bankruptcy. And everyone's like, What are you doing? He's like, I'm bankrupt. Like that means nothing. You just said it. Well, actually, Matt, you had to do something in order to actually apply for bankruptcy. In a similar way, right now, all we've been doing is making these declarations about our church. But you know what's the most important thing that's going to be needed? The most essential thing that needs to change of our church is to change. It's the central thing of every church, which is the people. The people have to change. Because the people, we are the central part of this church. Through Christ, he brings a people together. And it doesn't matter what everything else looks like. The people is most essential to the changes of a church. And so, here today, I have an ambitious goal. After declaring this is the foundation, this is who we are, and so forth, of, uh, of, of ambitious goal for the rest of 2022, uh, my goal, our goal, our hope for our church moving forward is to change your life change your life. I hope that through our church, as you come, your life will change. Not suddenly, maybe not dramatically, but slowly but surely, as the year passes, that you would be a different person. And here's why. You cannot grow to be passionate for Jesus in all of life unless something deeply changes in you. You can't just grow that way. Something has to change for our church to be this way. We cannot be a city on a hill that practices grace to one another unless you, personally, something is changing to become more gracious. It's just not going to happen. And so this is the goal. If we want to live out these declarations, something has to change, and it starts with us. Now, here's a problem. There's a problem when I say that, because many of us, sounds great, we want to change, we want to take steps to be different, and yet it's hard, is it not? It's hard. You know why it's hard? We're tired, we're tired, we're busy, we have a lot of things going on in our lives. Quite frankly, it's easier to maintain the status quo, just chill, just let me do my thing, just let me sit in the back and just enjoy this moment and go back to normal. The status quo is easier. Or for some of us, it's like, you know, that sounds great, but I don't know how to change. I don't even know what to do. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to push back on you on how busy you are. You're busy. You're not that busy. You're busy, but there's something that you could do to shift that. that I want to push back on, not just today, but for the rest of this year. I want to challenge the status quo, even though it's more comfortable. I think it doesn't really make you happy, living the status quo. I want to poke that a little bit this year. And I want to talk about how we can change. I want to share, I think uh, if there's ever any ambiguity of how we can change, I hope by the end of 2022, we're like, you know, I know how to change. I know how. That's what I hope to do. And the reason why is I'm really motivated for this is because even though it's easier to live the status quo, to live a normal life with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in there, it's also a very empty life. It's a much emptier life that's there for you. Versus life with Jesus, he tells us that it's true life and life abundantly. I want us to live a life that's full, that's filled with fullness, where even though life is hard and it's tiresome, there's fullness that's there. So today, what I want to do to start off this new series is we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to introduce a framework for our church where you won't just see it today, but hopefully you'll probably see this framework, maybe different variations of it uh, throughout this year, maybe throughout the rest of our church life. Um, But this is kind of a framework, and what we're going to talk about today is this idea of formation. This idea of formation. How can we be spiritually formed? How can we spiritually change and grow? I want to prove to us today, when we walk away realizing that all of us are being spiritually formed. You have no choice in that. You are being formed one way or the other. There's no choice. Your one choice is how you're being formed. That's the one choice that we have. And so to show this and demonstrate this, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 to 2. And in these, in these uh, verses, particularly in verse 2, there are two paths of formation. Two paths of formation that we could take. There is first the path of unintentional formation. And second is the path of intentional formation. So unintentional, intentional. Let's look at the first path. The path of unintentional formation. So if you're a Christian and you believe in the gospel, you go, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. What are you supposed to do now? Jesus Christ came, the gospel says that he died for your sins, so that the guilt and, the, and the, all the things that you failed to do, God, it's no longer uh, going to condemn you before the Lord, but you are now, by placing your faith in him, you have new life in Jesus Christ. In light of that, what should your life look like on a Monday? What should you do? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which is the verse that was right before the verse we read, We actually, Paul tells us, in light of the gospel, Romans 1 to 11, he explained the whole gospel in 11 chapters, in light of everything Jesus has done, let me tell you, according to the apostle Paul, as a Christian, what you're supposed to do. In verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. (laughs) A lot of language there, but some key ones that stand out are these religious languages like offer or present or the word sacrifice that's there. Those are common words for the offering of an animal to the, the gods, and it's a religious term that's often there. And here's the thing about offering animals as a sacrifice. There is no halfway sacrifices. You either to kill the animal or you don't kill the animal. But once you kill it, you offer it, and it's all in or all out. That's just the way it works. Paul is saying something similar. Now that you have received the gospel where God gave you everything in Jesus Christ, now God wants you to give everything to him. All of you, not just your mind, not just your inner heart, but your body. That's why it says offer your bodies as sacrifices. Everything is meant to be given to God. God does not just one day Sunday to be devoted to the Lord. He wants all seven days God does not just want your morality where you don't do bad things, but God wants your sexuality. He wants your finances. He wants your affection. He wants everything in your life to be offered up to the Lord. Now, when we hear that, we go, that sounds good. Okay, I'm a Christian. Amen to that. What does that look like? What does that mean? Does that mean I, become a, I live in a monastery? I just pray to God all day? Because it says every day, all the time. Do I become a missionary? Is that the ultimate goal and I get, build my life up to that? Verse 2, the verse that's in our program, he actually tells us what it looks like. You want to know how to live for the Lord every single day? It's right here in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That first part, do not be conformed to this world. The word "conform" means to be shaped by something. To live for the Lord, to offer your body as a sacrifice for God means that every single day as you encounter the world, You're not being shaped by it. You're not being influenced by the world. Because every single day, the world's trying to shape you in a certain way. See, Paul is presuming that every single week, something is happening to you. You're living in the world. There's a temptation to be conformed. And to live for the Lord, you cannot reconcile those two things. You're being formed in a certain way, in other words. Something is shaping you in your life. There's a book I'm reading, it's a really nerdy book, it's about 500 pages, and the title of the book caught my eye. It's called The Weirdest People in the World. And the reason why it's called The Weirdest People in the World, it has two kind of parts to it. One is the fact that these people are weird, and it's talking about us. People who live in the West, because that word weird is actually an acronym. It's people who are Western, that's W, E, educated, I, individualistic, R, rich, And D, democratic. If those five qualities are you, you're weird. You're weird in human history. It is a unique phenomenon that makes us act in a certain way that nobody in human history has ever acted before. And yet, if you live in this type of world, this weird world, you're going to think it's normal. Everybody thinks this way. And we don't realize how often and how much this weird culture has shaped us. Let me give an example. So the author's name is Joseph Henrik. He did an experiment where he showed a picture to a test group of people. And in the picture, it just showed a picture of a rabbit. And he had a picture of people from all different countries. And he goes, if you see this rabbit, what would you match this rabbit with if you had to match it with one thing? Next slide. Would you match it with the cat? Or would you match it with this piece of cabbage? Which one would you do? Now, when you think about this, if you were to look at this and go, hmm, that a circle one thing to match and connect this rabbit that's kind of like this rabbit, what would you do? According to his study, it was consistent all across the board. If you came from more of that weird Western culture, they matched it with the cat. And the reason why they match with the cat is because a rabbit is like a cat. They're both mammals. They're both furry. They're both living creatures. They have similar qualities to one another. So if that's you, that's more of that Western mindset that's there. Versus if you came from more of that Eastern mindset, you actually matched it with the cabbage. Why? Because a rabbit has a relationship with cabbage. It eats it. Because Eastern people are more communal. We're more about the relationship. And that's, we don't even know why we think that way. It just kind of happens to us. We're shaped without even knowing it. Here's another example that I have. If you have a, if someone on the, on the forum said, fill in the blank, I am blank, what would you put to describe yourself? How would you fill it in? If you're from the West, a lot of times you'll say, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, because we define ourselves by our achievements. Or you'll say, I'm curious, I'm kind, I'm an INFJ, because we, we think about our attributes, that's how we define ourselves. For say from the East, you're more communal, you'll say, I am Kate's dad. I am Julie's husband. I am Richard's son. You'll say stuff like that. Why? Because it's more relational. Two totally different brains. Two totally different ways of how you decide and make decisions and outcomes. Why? Not because you're consciously doing that. You got shaped a certain way. You're being influenced a certain way. In other words, formation, the idea that you are formed. This is not just a Christian thing, even though there is a Christian version of it. It's a human thing. You're constantly being shaped. You're constantly being formed. You know, sometimes when you become a Christian for the first time, and no one around you is a Christian, they're going to say, man, you're being brainwashed. Man, you're thinking so differently. What's going on? But here's the reality. All of us are being brainwashed in a certain way. We're all being discipled. We're all being formed. The only question is, how are you being formed? How are you being shaped? And here's a question for all of us. Do you know how you're being formed? Do you know what's shaping you, what's influencing the way you t- to decide and make your decisions? If you don't know, you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Most likely, you are being formed in an un- unintentional way. You're being conformed to the world. There's a chart that's here that I want to show that we'll use for the most the rest of our time. And it's called unintentional spiritual formation. Where pretty much all of us in this room, without knowing it, There are three elements, at the very least, that are taking place in your life right now that is forming you right now. You don't have to plan for this, hence the word unintentional. It's simply happening. It's just natural, and you don't even see it. It's like a fish, and you say, hey, how's the water? And the fish is like, what's water? They don't know. It's just there. It's invisible, but yet it's shaping them the same thing that's for us. There are things happening to us that are shaping us. You're being shaped the matter of what. What are the elements that are shaping you? Here's the first one. Here's the first one, stories. Stories. We are unintentionally being formed by the stories that we believe. You are bombarded always by stories. And because of those stories, you are making decisions in light of the stories that you believe. This sounds, this sounds very contrary to how we think we make decisions. We think we make decisions based on facts. I look up the facts, and based on the facts, because I'm a rational, intelligent person, I'll make decisions based on that. Not true, it's not true. Your brain processes way too many facts. It's way too complicated every day, and the brain, what it would naturally do is it would turn complexity into simplicity. You know for a fact you should not eat that cake. You know for a fact, and yet you do. Why? Because you don't go by facts. A story captures your heart. You know, a good example of this is, remember the GoPro? I'm not sure if people still use the GoPro, but the GoPro, why on earth do people buy that? It's just a portable camera. It's just a camera that's waterproof. Why would people buy it? Is it because there's a specific feature about the GoPro that you know about that made you go, and this is why it it just shoots faster, and this is the specs, and this is the shutter speed? No, you know why? Because the commercial shows you a guy kayaking, Riding around a GoPro, skydiving. In other words, GoPro means fun, GoPro means adventure. You buy the GoPro because of a story. Now, today, for all of us, we are encountering stories all the time through social media, through the music we listen to, through movies we watch. You know which stories are forming you? You know what the story is kind of being told to us all the time? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. My kids are being formed like crazy through frozen and through tangled to be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. You realize how Western that is? No Asian parent would agree with that. That's so Western, and yet for all of us, that's just the way it is. Why? Because of the stories that we've been hearing. Find yourself. That's the goal. Find whatever job that helps you find yourself. Find what makes you happy and do it. As long as you're happy. And so long as it doesn't hurt anybody, whatever you do is okay. Those are the stories that we're absorbing. And the more we're absorbing these stories, the more we actually believe the stories, the more we live out these stories. Let me give you an example of a, a one a prime example of what's going on with our world today the story of sexuality. We take the data of sexuality, and we're not going off the facts only. We're making a story about sexuality, and we're making decisions based upon the story. Here's a cultural story you're, you're basically an evolved mammal. And you have needs, you have physical needs that are hard to deny. And you know what, sex is just kind of fun. It's fun, it's gratifying. Gender is just a social construct that's there. It's, there's not, it's not really something that's objective, it's more social. Monogamy, it's unnatural. I mean, look at the animal kingdom, there, there's no monogamous animals there. And so the result is, you'll sleep around and that's okay. It's no problem having sexual relations with who you want. It's fun, actually, to sleep around to lose your virginity and to make sure you engage sexually with other people. It's no problem who you sleep with because, again, gender is a social construct. And it's no problem with how many people we sleep with because, again, monogamy, it's unnatural. See, this lifestyle is not just based upon facts, but it's based upon a story that we've absorbed. And the more that we absorb the story, the more we'll live it out because these are stories that are shaping us that we believe. Here's number two. We're not just shaped by the stories around us, but we're shaped by the habits we pick up. The habits we pick up. There's a book called You Are What You Love by James K. Smith, and pretty much his whole argument of that book is the habits you do, they're not just something that you do, but those habits, they do something to you. The habits that you do, the things you do every single day, it shapes what you love, and it shapes your longings. Let me give you an example. Every single day, you know what I do after I dress up and take a shower, I always brew coffee. Every single morning I will brew coffee. And then my kids, because they're already up, they'll just watch me brewing coffee and sometimes they'll watch me brew the coffee and one time even as they're watching me brew coffee, they said, can we try it? Can we try whatever you're drinking? And I was like, sure. I'm going to get my camera. I'll just you know, give them, <laughs> and give them try the coffee because I want to see their reaction. And you know, obviously when they drink it, they're like, oh, and they're so bitter for them. And they asked me, Dad, why do you drink this every single day? And I remember when he asked, I was just like, huh, you know, come to think of it, coffee is not like candy or fruit where everyone just naturally likes it. It was kind of an acquired taste. Uh, I drank my first cup of coffee actually in college. I never drank coffee until college, and the reason why is because of finals week. Finals week, I just needed something to keep me up, and people said, you gotta get caffeine in your body. So four times out of the year, I would drink coffee, only four times during finals week to keep me going in finals week in college. Then after college, I would drink coffee when I had to work. Before my job, I'd have to drink it just to stay awake. So I had to drink coffee every day just to be up for work, and now I drink coffee whenever I can. I love coffee. I love all kinds of coffee. What happened? Why did all of a sudden I evolve from hating this thing to needing this thing to now loving this thing called coffee? Here's the reason why. Your habits, they do something to you. You're not just doing it. It's doing something to you. The more you do something, the more you want to do it. That's the principle. The more you play Wordle, the more into Wordle you are, the more you want to play it. That's why it's so frustrating, you can only play once a day, oh, they're so good. They're so good, so I will play once a day, and every day I play it, the more I want to play Wordle. But the less you play Wordle, the less you want to play it. I guarantee if Wordle shut down for about a month, half of us would stop playing, because the habit's gone. The more you exercise, the more you want to exercise. I don't want to exercise at all because I don't exercise. But I know if I start exercising every single day, give me a few weeks, I'll want to exercise. That's what habits do to you. The more you read your Bible, the more you're going to want to read your Bible versus the less you read your Bible, the less you don't want to. Because here's the reason why. Habits, they form you. They do something to you, and all of us have picked up habits that's shaping us. Here's the third and last thing that shapes you. Not just stories, not just habits, but relationships. We are unintentionally being formed by the relationships that we have. You become like the people who you spend regular time with. Family, friends, social circles. For better or for worse, you become like them. You can't help but becoming like them. Why so? That's just how human beings are. If one person yawns next to you, what are you going to do? you're likely going to yawn. Why do you do that? We're weird. Human beings are constructed in a strange way where we just have to imitate those that are around us. I mean, look at the way we dress. A lot of us dress similarly, more with Southern Californians than we do with people in New York. Why? Because we're all around each other. You know, I used to always wear, every single day, rainbow, sand- rainbow sandals. I-, I, thought- and I thought everybody wore rainbows. But it's because the reason why I wear rainbows is because everyone around me was not Asian. I grew up in a non-Asian town. And when I saw people, they go, why do you wear rainbows all the time? Like, doesn't everybody? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, I just literally imitated the people around me. Or look at the hobbies that you pick up. The hobbies that you pick up, oftentimes it's not you discovered it on YouTube or something like that. People who play golf, a lot of you are playing golf because people around you start playing golf. You play video games because people around you start playing video games. Because the people whom we share life with regularly, they will shape you. Whether for the better or for the worse. And all these three things are happening in a place that we call an environment. In the environment. In the OC. The context shapes the way you're receiving and experiencing these things. I remember a few years ago, I went, took a trip to Washington, D.C. And at Washington, D.C., as I'm walking, I was with a, I was with a friend who's familiar with D.C. And then I, was, I got on an escalator. And the escalator was going down. So I got on, I'm just going down. I'm just, like, standing there, just, like, enjoying the time. And all of a sudden, the friend next to me just, like, bunts me. I'm, like, what are you doing? And she's, like, why aren't you walking down? I'm, like, I'm an escalator. It's bringing me down. She's, like, no, in D.C., you got to walk down because everyone's on the move. And I turn around. I see all these people just, like, shaking their heads at me, like, me just standing there. I'm just, like, dude, I'm from California. We're chill. I I ain't going in a hurry nowhere. I'm just chilling down the escalator. And I realize, like, oh, the place that I'm in it shapes me in a way that I am actually unaware of. When you're in the suburbs, it's all about family. You raise a family with pick a picket fence, that's the goal. When you're in the city, it's all about career. You try to make it somewhere. In the suburbs, it's all very slow-paced, go at your speed. In the city, it's all very fast-paced, you go, you walk, you talk as fast as you can. In the suburbs, it's very red, it tends to be very red, very conservative. In the city, it tends to be very blue, very democratic, and you happen now to be blue and democratic, it's like, what's going on? The city has shaped you, the environment has shaped you, and we combine all these elements together, the stories, the habits, the relationships, and the place that you're practicing all these things, over time it's gonna form you. And do you know what your role has to be to be part of this formation? Do you know what you have to do to be formed this way? There's only one thing you have to do. All you gotta do is wake up. All you gotta do is tomorrow morning on a Monday, wake up, do your work, be a parent, Be a college student. Be a worker. Do whatever you're doing, and I guarantee you, you are being formed. You are being shaped. This is what unintentional spiritual formation looks like. This is what conforming to the world looks like. And that's why for some of us, by being here on church on a Sunday and being here for one hour, or spending two minutes a day throughout your week praying or whatever scripture reading we're doing, while that's helpful... It's not enough oftentimes because we're constantly shaped in this environment. And so is it any wonder that the way we make decisions about life is the way that anybody makes decisions about life, whether they're Christian or not? Is it any wonder that the way we live our lives, it looks just like our neighbors in the OC. does it make any wonder for us because for us, we are constantly being shaped by something else. It's not neutral. You're not coming from a vacuum. We're being shaped by something. And it's very normal for us. It feels very normal. So here's a quick question before we move on. Are you being unintentionally formed right now? And if so, what type of person are you becoming? Let me ask you a question. If you were to plot your life for the next 10 years, so if you're 20, imagine you're going to be 30. If you're 30, imagine you're going to be 40. If you're 40, imagine you're going to be 50. What kind of person, based upon your life right now, are you headed to become? What is your trajectory? What is the horizon for you? Based on how you're living right now, it's a trajectory, and I'm going to be passionate for Jesus in 10 years? Or is it something else? Is it something else? I know personally for me, if I don't make shifts in my life right now, 10 years from now, I just imagine what's going to happen. 10 years from now, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I think our church is going to be pretty good. I think our church is going to be pretty strong. It might be pretty popular. But you know what's going to happen? My family is going to resent our church. My wife is not going to like our church. My kids are not going to like my church. Why? I'm too busy right now. Too much of my time is being spent into this. That's that's not worth it sometimes. At this point, if I keep going where where I'm going, as a Christian, I'm going to be really busy. I'm going to be doing podcasts. I'm going to be able to speak at different events. I'm going to be able to speak at the church. I'm going to be able to write blogs and so forth. But my relationship with Jesus is going to look really distant. I'm just going to be a busy person who looks like Jesus, but I'm not really changing like Jesus. If I keep doing what I'm doing right now. Our church, if I imagine our church, we could grow our church. I can imagine, man, there's so many things we could do to grow this church in the next few years, next 10 years, but are we going to grow like Jesus? Are we going to become like Jesus? Something has to change. Something has to shift right now in order for that 10 year trajectory to also shift. What about you? What's going to happen to you in 10 years? How will people describe who you are in 10 years? It starts now, it starts with change, but how do we do this? How can we turn away from this natural trajectory that we're all headed? And that leads to the second half of this message, the path of intentional formation. While we naturally conform to the world through unintentional formation, as Christians, we're actually called to do something different. We're called to take a stand. Look again, look again in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in our program. Do not be conformed to this world, but you, Christian, in light of the gospel, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As a follower of Christ, we are to resist the natural conformity that we all naturally conform to. And we are to seek transformation. Transformation is the Greek word metamorphosi, It's the same word for caterpillars turning to butterflies where they become radically different. New instincts, new practices, new habits. And yet, how does this happen for the Christian? What does this look like? Paul actually tells us in verse 2 of this last part, by the renewal of your mind. Notice Paul when he tells us this, he doesn't say the way you change is by having a new mind, but the renewal of your mind. Well, that's an interesting word. Why does he say that? Because that word renewal, it brings the imagery of stripping off the old and putting in the new. It's not a new house per se. It is an old house that is being tear down, replaced, and renewed. And this is what transformation looks like. Dallas Willard, he says it like this, quote, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive ideas and images with the images and ideas of Jesus himself. It's a replacement of the old and end with something different. So how can we experience transformation through renewal? The answer is we have to, instead of being just unintentional, we have to be intentional with the ways we're being formed. Encounter to that unintentional chart. Let me show you a different one. This is the intentional spiritual formation chart. There are three elements that needs to be there for us to counter the ways that we are naturally be formed. couple caveats though. One, this is not how we are saved. This is how we are formed. This is not how Jesus saved us. This is how Jesus grows us. Okay? And number two, this is not a formula where if you just do these things you will change. Rather this is the conditions of an environment for the spirit to move in your life. For the spirit to be proactive in your life. And here are the three things. Number one, first, teaching. Teaching. To counter the stories that we are being, we are believing in and being exposed to, we need teachings to counter that. That's why it's so important that when we talk about teaching, it's not just facts about Jesus. But we are meant to actually hear a better, different story that Jesus has to offer us. A better life story for us. Let me give you an example again, going back to that sexuality example. As opposed to being an animal with needs, where your gender is a social construct and sex is just for fun and monogamy is unnatural, here's another story that's out there. You're not an animal. You were made in the image of God. Your gender is not just a social construct, but it is a very important part of your identity. Sex is not just for fun, but it makes two people one. It bonds two people together in a unique way. And monogamy people are right. It's not easy. It sometimes feels unnatural, but it is the pathway to intimacy. It is the pathway to closeness in a unique way. Those are two different stories. The question is which story are you going to believe? And whichever story you choose to believe, whichever sounds more enhancing or more appealing to you, that will shape the decisions of what you make. And That's why the Bible, again, it's filled with stories. Jesus teaches in stories. It's a story about a different life that Jesus has to offer us. And we have to actually learn what the story is. Now, granted that, I know our church, oftentimes when we think of transformation, we go, and that's it, end the sermon. It's just teaching. It's just a sermon. If we want to change, let's do a book study. We go through the book, what did you learn? You learned that? Great, now walk away changed, right? That's oftentimes what we think when we talk about change. But I think that's not how change works in real life. Want to know why? Because I tried that before with something else. I have a secret desire uh, at least especially back in COVID time, I had a secret desire to learn something. I wanted to learn jujitsu. And it was COVID time. And I was like, you have a lot of time. I should learn jujitsu. Like, I really want to learn it. But here's the problem. It was COVID. You can't go in a jujitsu gym during COVID. And so what did I do? I still wanted to learn it I had a lot of time. So what I did was I went on YouTube, and I typed learning jujitsu. And I just try to watch jujitsu tutorials all the time. I watched jujitsu videos every single day for a few weeks, you know what happened? I still don't know anything about Jiu Jitsu. I don't know nothing about Jiu Jitsu. And here's why. Even though I learned a lot of facts about Jiu Jitsu, I need to practice it in order to actually do it. I need to join a dojo and be part of a Jiu Jitsu dojo to learn this. I need a sensei to like, train me and to teach me how to learn Jiu Jitsu, because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. And that's what we need to do as well. It can't just be information and teaching. If you wanna change, if you wanna grow, it's not just teaching, but it's also, secondly, practices. We need to practice things that counter the habits that we pick up, different than habits. Habits you just do, practices you're intentional about. Richard Foster, he's a theologian, he said, you know, people think the way you change, you just try hard. Change comes from trying, but in reality, change does not come from trying, it comes from training. You change by training yourself. Let me give you another example of how that works. Our college director, Director Daniel Shem, he recently ran an LA Marathon, and he let everybody know that he ran an LA Marathon. So on his story, he showed it off, he told us, it was a big day, and there was a day where he ran the LA Marathon. Now imagine if, imagine the scenario where Daniel, our college director, he texts me the day before on a Saturday going, hey Tom, you wanna, you wanna run this marathon with me? Let's run the LA Marathon together. Now the LA marathon is 26 miles. Okay, you run 26 miles to the LA Marathon. And imagine Daniel Shim. he told me, hey, as you run, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you tips. I'll tell you how to run as we're running. Imagine if I actually went and I just tried really hard to run. After two miles, I'm dead. I'm done. And even worse, after that happens, if I run, I go, you know what, Dan, forget marathons. Never again. Never again. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm going to think, impossible. I can never run 26 miles like that. I'm, I tried too hard. It's too much for me. Now here's the thing, uh, that's wrong. It's not that I can't do it, I just can't do it right now. I can't do it right now. Because it can be done, you just, you don't need to try hard, you need to train hard to do it. So if I wanted to run the LA Marathon, I need to not just try, but one day run one mile, next day two miles, next day three miles, and then six months later, if being generous, maybe 12 months later for me, to be able to have the LA Marathon. I am now gonna be probably more capable of running 26 miles. It might still be hard, but I can do it. I can do it. And for a lot of us, this is how we experience Jesus. This is how we experience Christianity. We hear what Jesus tells us to do, we go, it can't be done, it can't be done. For example, hey, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry, God takes care of you, now go. How many of us walk away going, yeah, and I'm ready not to be anxious. Oh, my gosh, the first Monday, you're, you're done. You go, oh, my gosh, this happened at work, and I know I'm supposed to be anxious, but it's too hard. I'm done. Jesus, is, this is just an impossible teaching that is nice for spiritual people, but not for me. Don't lust. Don't look at another person of opposite gender with a lustful intent. Impossible. How do you do that? You know, that's just a thing that spiritual people do. Not for me. I just can't do it. Forgive Forgive people, Jesus says. That Jesus guy, he's he's full of these lofty statements. I can't do it. But imagine if, imagine if instead of trying really hard to do those things, imagine, hey, I'm gonna actually spend time training to do the things that Jesus does. How's my Sabbath going? How's Sabbath going in my life? How's my time with the Lord praying before him? How's my generosity going? How's my time in God's Word going? Are those happening in your life? Because I promise you, if you are practicing the things that Jesus does, the next time Jesus tells you to do something, it's still hard, but you'll be far more capable of doing it. And it won't seem like this impossible thing that just spiritual people do. But these practices that, we take, that take place, it won't come naturally. You have to pick it up. It has to be intentional because it's training. It's exercise. It's practice. And it makes a difference. For example, our church right now, we're reading through the Psalms, and it's so funny for all of our members. I remember I told you guys at a members meeting, it's discouraging sometimes talking to members because I ask you how you're doing spiritually, and all the members like, not well, not well. That was all of 2021. It's so funny, recently in 2022, I'm like, hey, how are you guys doing spiritually? They're like, I'm doing so much better. I'm reading the Psalms. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's only like two minutes of your day. Like, it's two minutes of your day, and it's making that big of a difference. What's going on? You are pushing back against the normal habits that you normally do with your life you're being a little bit intentional with the new practice and spiritual muscles are being built imagine if we did more than two minutes imagine if our church did more practices than just that like the psalms you know what will happen we'll become a dojo we'll become a christian dojo where people are actually changing their lives through the church So teaching, practices, and lastly, the last thing we need in order to counter the formation habits of the world is community. Community. This counters relationships that we have. Now, what do I mean by this? Because those seem like two similar things, right? A little bit different. Relationships are people who you choose in your life and often bless you, like your high school friends or your college friends or so forth. Community are people you don't necessarily always choose in your life, and they will form you. They will shape you and impact you. And the reason why is because community, they are capable of doing something that no other place can do. Communities expose you for who you are. Stay in a community long enough and deep enough, it will expose you. It will reveal things about you that you did not want to be revealed. You know, I used to think back in college that I was good at basketball. I used to think I was good. And the reason why is because I would play with my dorm friends and they weren't very good i'd only play with them and man i was like the go-to scorer when it was like the last shot needed they passed me the ball and i was like you know i'm not bad not bad at all until i came to this church when i came to this church and people played basketball nobody passed me the ball nobody gave me the last shot in fact when i come into the game everyone just starts cheering like a mock cheer like whoa like he's coming in and when I grabbed the ball, everyone like, oh, they're all like standing up. And I remember one time I made a shot, and everyone does like this mock, like cheer to me. And I was like, I'm never playing basketball again. But at the same time, even though I didn't like that, it was reality. That's true about me. I'm not that good. I was delusional before. The community exposed something about me that I would have never otherwise had been exposed to. You know what another thing exposed me to? I used to think I was a pretty kind person before. I used to think when I was around my friends, I'm pretty accepting, I'm pretty loving. I have a good sense of humor. I could tolerate a lot of people. Man, all that changed when I came to the community. Woo, there's some annoying people sometimes. Oh, there's some people who's tough to talk to. Some people when they sit by me, I'm like, ah, oh, do I want to sit by this person? Some people when, they're, when they annoy me, I'm like, oh, do I want to still talk to them? And I realized, wow, community really exposed something about me, I'm not as loving as I thought I was. I'm not as forgiving or tolerant as I thought it was. Because when you join a community, it exposes you to something. It reveals something about you that you don't necessarily like, but you need to deal with. It exposes you to who you are. And this is why people who simply attend church or they only cling to their close friends at church, you're never gonna change through the church. If you don't have community. God uses community to bring things about you, to reveal things about you, to shape you and to mold you. And so you have teaching, you have, ha- you have uh, practices. You have community. And all these things are happening in a context, except it's not in the OC. All these things are happening in not a place, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You see, transformation, it requires a partnership with God. Because without the Spirit present, we can't change. But without us, the Spirit won't change you. Our role is we're to learn we're to practice, we're to be part of a community, and the spirit does the hard part. Through that, he changes you. It's like a plant where you do the the soil, you plant it, you water it, but how does it grow? The spirit grows it. The spirit grows it. And that's how we change. That's how we grow. And this does not happen automatically. When we talk about, the reason why resolutions are so hard to keep is because it's dramatic. But real transformation, real change, it happens over a long time period of time, a long period of time. And we're not used to that because we're American, we're Western, we like things happening fast. And also, if you're a Christian, you're used to things changing real quickly. When you first became a Christian, what happens? You stop smoking, you stop getting drunk, you stop partying, you stop doing really bad things, you stop cussing, a lot of things change, you start going to church, you start having these moral, new new moral compass. It all happens really fast. It all happens throughout college. But then after college and all the way to your parenthood, not much really changes, right? And when not much really changes, you think, well, it's because I guess Jesus isn't that important anymore. I guess he's just not that relevant to me, so I'm just kind of living my life. And you look exactly the same like you did in college. And here's the reason why. Because all the changes that happened back in college, those were all the superficial changes that were easy. Those were all the easy things that needed to be changed. That doesn't take too much effort from the Spirit. Now we're getting to the deep stuff. There are deep-rooted things happening in your life that's been there your whole life that the Spirit of God has not entered into. And yet what happens right now is it needs to, he needs to enter there, and that's a slow change because it's deeply lodged in the heart that's there. And when you suffer in the midst of all that, suffering just activates us like crazy. When you suffer, all of a sudden the teaching of Jesus becomes all the more real. The community of God becomes all the more real. And the practices of God are all the more needed. And when all of this is taking place over a period of time, you know what happens, what the result is of this? We see it again in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You may discern now what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you now know how to live the life Jesus wants you to live. You don't need a book that tells you how to make decisions. You're guided by the Spirit. You don't need a mentor to tell you what to do as much. You're guided by the Spirit. You're being shaped. You're being molded. You're in a context where the Spirit of God is present in you. This is how we change. So let me show those two charts one more time. We have unintentional formation. That's happening no matter what. It's going to happen to you tomorrow. And we have intentional formation, the way God wants to transform you. When you look at this, especially to the one here, Which of these elements do you need in your life right now? How can you add one mile to your life these days? And if I could exhort a church, the time is now. The time is now. You know, if you're young in this church, if you're like, again, you're in your 20s or 30s, if you're young, um, the things that happen in your 20s that people like tell you, like, hey, you know, that's not really good about you, those quirks that are there, just know that becomes character in your 30s. The quirks in your 20s become character in your 30s. And then the character in your 30s, you face the consequences in your 40s. That's what often happens. Start now. Start now before things get too deeply rooted for you to change and it's harder to change. Start when you're young. And if you're older and you hear all this, you go, ah, oh, sounds nice, but I'm too old. I'm too old to change. I'm too tired to change. It's, 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 for, it's a young people's game. Lie, 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 lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. When you read the stories of the Bibles and people changing, how old are those guys? How old was Abraham when he changed? How old was Moses when he changed? How old was the Apostle Paul when he changed? We are not that old. We are not that old, church. And I'm confident that God wants to change us because God's entire purpose is saving you, the entire purpose of God sending Christ into your life, Is so that you could not just have a relationship with Jesus, but you could grow to become like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it tells us that for those he foreknew, he predestined to not be saved, but to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be transformed. That's the entire goal of the Christian life. And that's our goal. This is the paradigm, the framework that I hope as a church that we could really strive for, that we could really change in this church. And so to conclude, so what are we going to do about it? As a church, what are we going to do? If I say, now go, change, go out there, it's going to be tough because it's just information, right? Which is needed, it's necessary, it's not enough. Just know our staff, we've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been talking about this for the past two years, how we can change, how we can grow, how we can do this with teaching, with practice, and with community. Uh, And just that we hope something will be coming soon. Um, but I also know this. If we try something right now, uh, not many of us are going to do it. If We say, hey, sign, and now sign up for this thing to change. I just know not many of us are going to sign up. And we're going to not sign up, not because we're too busy, even though a lot of us are. Not because we, uh, we're too lazy. Uh, the reality is there's something going on. Um, there's war going on for our souls. There's resistance going on. There's pushback. It's not neutral territory. And so before we launch anything, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this battle of formation that all of us experience, which makes it so hard for us to really grow and change. There's a war taking place in our formation. It makes it difficult to be intentional. And starting next week, I want to spell that out. What is the war taking place? What is the resistance and what can we do about that? And so until then, I hope you could join us. It's going to be a transformative, hopefully, series for us. And I really hope and pray that our church could be formed and it could be changed. And so would you join me in prayer and asking the Lord to bless this time? But I just invite us, to, as I invite the praise team up, but I just invite us to reflect and uh, pray for maybe one or two things. Uh, for some of us who are here, you might be formed or realizing you're being formed in a certain way. And some of the formation is not good, whether it be from your habits or whether it be from the relationships you're having or whether it be from the stories you're believing. Share with the Lord what's going on. Share with the Lord the challenges or the things that are perhaps making it hard to even care for transformation. What is happening in your soul right now? If we could just share that with the Lord in the time of prayer. Or for others of us, maybe we do want to change, but yet when we see those different practices of having community or have, having daily practices or even believing the story of Jesus in our life, maybe one of those has just been missing or maybe the spirit of God has been missing. Whatever it might be, however we want to respond, but I just invite us to really pray before God to be still and to really share with him what's going on in our hearts, whether it be the apathy or burden. Let's really pray before the Lord, at the very least asking him to really help us to take small steps to change, to grow, and to look more and more a little bit like Jesus. Because right now, even if we're tired and we're burdened, it's it's because we're living perhaps an emptier life than we should, and we need Christ to really fill that. So Let's really pray at this time, and then I'll close us in prayer, so let's pray.